Well, good morning. It's good to see so many of you out this morning, and it's good to see uh, those that are joining us online. I say see because I want to know that you're watching when you're dialed into us online. Please take a moment at the end of the service to fill out that online Get Connected card. It's very important for me to know that you're staying connected with the body here. And those of you that are back for your first time, thank you. And I hope that you feel comfortable and back at home because we're sure glad. We're sure glad to see you here. And those of you that are new to MCC, it's great to see you coming back every week. This morning, we come to the conclusion of our series, The Journey to a New Normal. And as our kids are making their way downstairs, fifth grade and under, I want you to find your place in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter, chapter six. You can find your way there. I wanna especially welcome Michael. Michael's watching from home this week. Michael's usually over here with his brother, Eli, and Michael was in a motorcycle accident this week. And I understand that it's, uh, it's mostly because he can't drive. But he was taken to U of L, and it was uh, pretty, pretty frightening for the family. Uh, but we want him to know, and his wife and family to know that we're praying for him. He was able to come home last night. So those of you who have your motorcycle license, reach out to him and see that his is taken away from him. <laughs> also, last night we celebrated. We have almost a hundred of our church family right now over at Wonder Valley, and some of them are watching online with us as well. This was our middle school retreat, and I was, had the privilege, as did Brandon, to be over there Friday night. And to see that camp full uh, of MCC kids, and we had a few others from the community join us, but it is so great. They're over there having a great time, and they're having a time of worship and teaching themselves this morning. Well, the timing of this series that we've been in, the journey to a normal, could not have been more appropriate. And some of you might believe that this series was built after this pandemic began, but it was not. It was created months before, at least the idea was, and we finished writing this series back in March before we began teaching it. But the timing couldn't have been more appropriate as we have navigated through what has been, I would say, one of the most challenging times for us as a nation, but also for us as a church and as a people. No matter what generation you're in, this has been very challenging. What once consumed our time and schedule was suddenly canceled. What was elevated to, to be almost God in our lives, right, was no longer deemed important or essential, to use the word, or necessary. The people and things that we placed our trust in outside of God have given us conflicting answers at best. We've experienced fear and unrest Unlike ever before, as those who are in leadership, many of those have failed to act nobly. Our most dearly loved have been sequestered in nursing homes and hospitals, separated from family, friends. We've been left to wonder if things will ever be normal again. And if so, what should that normal look like? Well, throughout this series, we've paralleled the journey of the Israelite people, God's chosen people, people chosen just like you and I today. We've paralleled our journey with theirs from Egypt, where they lived for hundreds of years enslaved. We paralleled their journey to freedom from there all the way to this promised land that last week they had entered and they began to conquer 
and to take over, and they saw that everything was just as God had promised as they laid down this new baseline that they could build on that God defined for them as their new and final normal. And so this week, as we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you'll notice that we're not at the end of the Israelites' journey. We're going to step back a few weeks to this very important chapter because we, although we're concluding our series today, we are not at the end of our journey either. We are still deciding, I would say many even in this room, are deciding what our normal should look like. And we have laid down the baseline over the last several weeks of what God's word prescribes that to be. Now it's up to us to choose. And here, in chapter 6, Moses knows that his life of 120 years is about to end. He's not going to get to cross over. Oh, he's going to get to see it from a mountaintop across the river Jordan. But he's not going to cross over. And so in this chapter and the chapters that follow, Moses recounts not just the last 40-year journey, but he recounts his life journey with God. And what he gives us here in chapter 6 answers this question for us, how do I stay the course? How do I continue to live in this new normal without turning back, without going back, without falling short? without giving up, without bringing along some of the hurts and the habits and the hang-ups of our past normal that tend to want to well up inside of us. And Moses' message this weekend is stay true, stay true to the end. So let's pray and then let's dive into this important teaching together. Father, thank you for the journey that you've led us on these weeks through the experience of the Israelites and Lord, I'm grateful for the journey you've led us on as a church over these last almost six months. Just as they were your chosen people, chosen to reflect your love and grace and blessing, so we ourselves today find ourselves chosen by Christ to reflect his love and grace and his blessing. A light to the world you've called us to be that's groping in the dark looking for what we found in you. And so lead us today. We pray, God, that you would lead our nation. Even though there are many who wish you wouldn't, I pray that you will. And may revival be awakened in the souls and in the very heart of this land that you have given to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, here in chapter 6, look down at verse 4. Moses begins with these words. If you want to stay true to the end, he tells the Israelites, and he says to us today, Hear, O Israel. Today we would say, Hear, O Memphis Christian Church. Hear, O Southern Indiana. Hear, United States of America. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. Now the truth that there's only one God stood in stark contrast to the cultures that surrounded the Israelites. As Brandon talked about, the Amorites and all of the Hittites, the Hittites, right? They all worshiped these pagan gods, these idols cast out of stone or silver or gold, other jewels. These inanimate objects. They all worship these things. And you say, well, we don't worship those things today. And although you may not craft the little figurine that you put on your shelf and bow down to, make no mistake that we have bowed down to many things 
in this world today. We have formed our own idols. And here, Moses restates the reality on which the Israelites were to base their faith in life. And it's the same reality we're to base our lives on, and that is there's only one God, only one who created you and purposed you and called you. And this is our God. I want you to say that out loud. This is our God. Does that not do something inside of you? The more that I say that out loud, it's one thing to read it on a piece of paper and say, oh, that's a really neat way to start a speech. But it's another thing to say it out loud and to realize the depth of that statement. It's on this reality that God who created me and God who purposed me and called me is the God that I choose, that I choose to love, that I choose to follow, that I serve, that I bow down to alone in worship. He's where it starts and he's where it ends. He's the one who paid the price for me redeemed me, called me his own. When mistakes I've made want to undermine my confidence, well, I'm reminded that he chose me. And there's only one God and he's greater than my past. When I look ahead to challenges that are before me and these present challenges that we live in today, I'm reminded that God who purposed me and called me will give me what I need for the challenge. He always has and he always will. Hasn't he given that to you? As God has proven over the generations and has shown us these last five months, friends, there is no idol, there is no idol that we can form that can stand against him. He will destroy them all just as he's shown us. Now, the Israelites struggled with this, and we often do as well. There are so many things and forces battling for first place in our lives. But we need to recognize that at the top of that list is you and me. We are the ones. Here, Moses directs us to the reality that there's only one God, and that God's not you and me. As free as we are to choose, there's only one God, my friends, and it's not you, and it's not me, and it's not our health. It's not our economy. As God has shown us these last five months, it's not higher education. They've cowered and shut down. They've decided that once it was very important to sit in these classrooms, oh, now you can do it online and just see us once a month. It's okay. It's not that important. Vacation time. Our government is certainly not our God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, Jesus confirmed these words when he was asked, what is the first and what is the greatest command? What's the first thing we're to live by? And Jesus said, it's already been written. Love. Love God. Jesus would say to love God is to obey his commands. Now, for those of you who are young in your faith or, or you're like me and the rest of us in this room who hopefully have taken an inventory of our faith and an inventory of our relationship with God over these last five months, Moses reminds us 
that we are to lead our hearts. We are to lead our hearts, not follow our heart. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. And it's a choice that has to be pursued. It has to be. And we discover just how much God loves us when we live within the boundaries, just as Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. We discover just how much God loves us when we live within the boundaries and the commands he's given us, right? We see his provision for us only as we trust him with his command in the first, giving him the first 10%, right? That's the only way that we see him open the floodgates and, and provide for our every needs is by us taking that first step in obedience to his command. We experience the blessing of marriage as we follow his example in the way he loves us. You vary off of his example, you will never reach the full potential of love in your marriage. We recognize the depth of his love for us in saving us, realizing just how significant the price was that he paid for our soul. You know, from the moment my girls were in their mother's womb, I have pursued their hearts passionately, passionately. Every day, choosing to pursue them. When both girls were placed in my arms, I wondered. There's five years difference between my girls. And when Olivia was born, by the time she arrived, I had so much love in my heart for her. It's almost like romance love, right? You just are giddy about it. You're so excited. And once all of the nerve-wracking pressure of the delivery is over to hold her, I always told Sarah, now she's going to always be my favorite. Even when Sarah snuck, uh, snuck up on me and we got pregnant with another one. I said, now when this child's born, Olivia's still going to be my favorite. But when Emma was born and she was placed in my arms, God did that thing that only God can do for his followers. He filled my heart with enough love for both of them and to still at least like their mother. So much love. It's undescribable, but listen. From that point forward, loving them was a choice. It became a choice. My choice to risk being disappointed. My choice to surrender what's important to me so that their basic needs of nurture and love could be met. I remember the first time that Olivia ate chips and McDonald's in my car. You talk about sacrifice. And then when she threw up, oh my goodness. Are there times I've commanded my girls to do things? Absolutely. And I will command them as long as they're under my roof because... I know what's best for them. Are there times that they do different than what I've asked them to do? It's rare, but yes. Are there times when they're lovable and unlovable? Mostly when they were three. But I choose. I choose to love them every day. Listen. When God says he wants us to love him with our heart and soul and mind and strength, he's not talking about a romanticized love, a feeling. He's talking about choosing him 
He wants us to choose to think about him. He wants us to choose to hang on his every word. He wants us to choose his commands that transform us and shape us and inspire us. And my friends, we love him all the more for it. Moses continued in verse six. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now, when I was growing up, I thought that what the preacher meant by that was I should at least have the first 10 commandments memorized, and then if I could get the other 600, that would be great. But that's what I thought it meant to have them in my heart. And listen, the Bible does say to hide God's word in your heart so that you won't sin against God. But it's deeper than that. The other day, Dan had the opportunity, Dan, our worship pastor, Dan had the opportunity to meet a traveler out front of the church, as everyone on staff has, and as many as you have. It's something that all of us can relate to and have encountered. I was just returning from a meeting, and Dan was inside the church by that point, scrambling, looking for a blanket. He had already given this man everything that he had in his wallet, and now was looking for a blanket to take with him. I could see the look in Dan's eye. More than that, I could see Dan's heart in that moment without him saying a word that Dan felt the traveler's loneliness, his emptiness. Oh, he understood the fraud that's many times involved too. But he could see, he could see the need. And in that moment, my friends, Dan recognized the heart of God inside of himself. And he responded. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, right, you've done for me. We should be so dialed into God that the way he feels about life issues becomes the way we feel about them, right? We should be that dialed into him that the way he feels about life issues is the way that we feel about them because we now have his heart. And how does that happen? How do we have the heart of God? We have the heart of God when we're intentional about aligning every aspect of our life with him. You can't just show up and let somebody pour into you for an hour and then go out and live like hell the rest of the week and expect to respond as God would want you to respond or expect to have anything near the heart of God when you've not given your life to aligning your life with his commands to be blessed by him, to have him dwell inside of you, to have him lead you, to know that you can trust him. Moses says, keep these commands on your heart. Don't just memorize them. Let them flow from your heart. Let them out of your mouth. Let them flow to your family, to your work, to your life. In verse seven, you've heard this famous passage. He says, impress them upon your children. Talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you're working, you mean. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He's saying, talk about God. Talk about God and his ways. Every opportunity you get, every opportunity that you get, include God. Bring him in. Talk about him and his ways. One of the reasons why we've moved to an every other week format, as you've noticed, for our midweek service on Wednesday night. How many of you were out this past Wednesday night? Wasn't that awesome? No? Yes. 
I thought it was. I thought it was the best Wednesday night we've had in the history of our church. It was powerful. People were so excited to be here. The 25-minute message on prayer was awesome, right? <laughs> You're here for much better speakers next time. At least the Parmesan-crusted chicken was out of this world, wasn't it? Wow, yeah, there you go. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. But the reason we move to an every other week format for midweek and life groups that begin this week is why. It's not because of the pandemic, please. We do not do anything in this church because of what's going on out there in the media. We move to every other week so that our families will be encouraged to stay home one night a week. You see, one of the things that we've seen is that we've made after-school athletics. We have made work projects. We have made going out to eat all little G-gods, even above our own families. Oh, we think we're doing a service to our families. But when was the last time that you had one night a week that you didn't fill with activities, that you were able to sit down at your dinner table. I don't know about you, but I've discovered that it's at the dinner table that we've had some of the best conversations where we've talked about God and what he's done throughout that week. You see, it's at the dinner table we're reminded of God's provision that we don't live by McDonald's alone. It's at the dinner table that we need to hear about our children's day at school and we need to affirm them in the word of God, not let them sit mindlessly on social media where they only get byproducts of filth. Widows need to be invited to our dinner table and widows need to be inviting young families to their table where you can sit and you can give praise to God for the blessing and ask his will and provision through the challenge that may be at hand. Moses says, you talk about God and his truth. And then Moses takes it another step when he addresses us and he says, wear the truth. And these people took it literally. They wrote scripture in little box and tied it around their foreheads. They would take scripture in little scrolls and nail them to their door frames. And I love, I love coming to some of your homes, those of you who invite me and those of you who don't. I many times just show up and come on in. But I love to see the little sticky notes. Some of you are doing a fabulous job with your kids. I see these little sticky notes in their room or on the door to their room with a life verse on it, speaking truth into their lives. I love it that my wife Sarah has a cross tattooed behind her ear. Every time I go to nibble on her ear, I think of the Lord. <laughs> but she has this little cross that nobody sees but me and her to remind her who she is, who she belongs to. On her wrist, she has the word love in my handwriting. Do whatever it takes, is what Moses says, to etch the truth of who God is on you, that you wear the truth in the way you live it, that you speak it, and that you breathe it every day in your home, your work, and your outermost areas of influence, your gates. Verse 13, fear the Lord your God, 
Serve him only and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. That still applies today. For the Lord your God who is among you, who's with you, is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you. Do not test the Lord, but do only what is right and good in his sight. As I read those words this week, now with a 14-year-old daughter and a 9-year-old daughter, I thought to myself, Lord, Lord, may these truths be what they remember most about their daddy. I don't care if Olivia remembers the money that I give her every week to clean the house or to make sure that she has new blue jeans with rips in them or <laughs> all the other things. that she. I don't care anything about that. She can have it all. But what I want her to know, because this will change the way she lives, is I want her to know to give her life to God, just like she's seen her daddy, to serve him only. When it says to take oaths, that means to live in and by his name. Anything that you do should be done in the name of Jesus Christ. It's by his strength and it's by his power that we work and that we breathe and that we live. Serve him only. Live in and only by his name. I would say to her, and my life says to her, don't put anything else on the same level as God. He comes first. When people ask her, why doesn't your family do this? Well, why would we? That's not first. He will give you everything you need, Olivia. You can trust him. His voice is the one you listen to. And this jealousy thing, Oh, we know a lot about jealousy, especially girls. But I want my girls to know that God is jealous for them. What's that mean? He doesn't want to share them with anything because he will take the best care of them. And so you do what he says. I want to ask you, do you know this about God in your life? Do you live by this truth every day? That God can, that God alone will take the best care of you. I want her to know that he's always with us. That he loves us so much he'll fight for us. That his name's riding on it. To trust him with everything and then trust him more. In verse 10, Moses says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he promised to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you land, a land with large flourishing cities you didn't build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you didn't provide, wells you didn't dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Be careful you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Be careful. A couple weeks ago, one of the girls asked their mommy, how long were you dating when daddy kissed you the first time? That's a loaded question, isn't it? How long were you dating, mommy, when daddy kissed you for the first time? She looked at me, I looked at them, and I said, I don't remember. And Sarah thought I was putting them off, right? Because I kissed her on the first date, praise the Lord. <laughs> but if you're like me, I was 34 and I wasn't about to wait another week for that kiss. I wanted it now. So I asked her permission, and she grabbed my shirt and pulled me in. No. <laughs> but the truth is, I couldn't remember. <laughs> Isn't that awful? 
Yes. And boy, I've paid for it ever since then. It hurt Sarah. And what she'll never believe is that it hurt me more. That I couldn't recall that tender moment. Friends, I don't want to forget a single moment that I've spent with the love of my life. And we should feel that way about God. This is where the Israelites always got jammed up, and it's where we've suffered most as a country and as a people. Every time things went well in the life of the Israelites, they slowly stopped focusing on God. They slowly slipped away. The things that God said were important, the things that he commanded them to do, they put off because there was an excuse of the day, just like we've had plenty of excuses over the last six months. But they would put him off until they forgot all about him. And Moses, his last directive to them, his final word is so important. He says, live a thankful life. And never forget. Never forget. The first couple of years Sarah and I were married, we would end the day by lying awake in our bed at night. Now, we lived in a chicken coop turned into a hog pen that turned into a house. We lived there for the first year or so. And so at night we would lay in the bed and we would listen to the mice running back and forth overhead just praying to God they didn't come out. But we also laid in bed and recounted the highlights of the day whether it was me coming home from work and us jumping on the four-wheeler and going out for a romp in the field and all those things that young married couples do. You all missed that one completely. <laughs> the friends that we spent the day with, we would recount those. We even made lists of them. We even promised that when we built our house, we would put them on the wall of our bedroom so that we would always remember. But somewhere along the way, the list never got hung up. The conversations turned into texting friends late at night or watching Golden Girls until Big Daddy falls asleep. Moses knows what every one of us who have lived more than a few years have figured out. If you don't live life intentionally thanking God day by day and moment by moment, if we don't talk about him and talk with him, if we don't impress on others the significance of living for him, we eventually forget. Moses said these infamous words in verse 20. He says, in the future when your son asks, <laughs> I don't want my daughter to have to ask. I hope she knows. But when your daughter asks, what's the meaning? Why all of these laws? Why the commands? What do these mean? You tell her you were once a slave, but the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. You tell her that before your very eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible. But he brought you out from there to bring you to and give you the land that he promised on oath. The Lord commanded you to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord your God so that you might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. Right now, right now, while we've got the time and while you are thinking about, before you go home to all the distractions, I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to keep your ink pen in your hand. And I want you to think back over the last five months of your life 
And I want you to think about the life you were living before the pandemic. And I want you to be honest with yourself about what occupied your time. What made you feel secure? And I want you to think about what it was like when all of that was revealed for what it truly is. And now I want you to think about the life that God has laid before you these last few months. I want you to think about what God has shown you and revealed to you. And I want you to think about what he has led you through and protected you from. I want you to think about what you have trusted him with and what you need to trust him with. The next steps that you've taken in his name, saying, God, you've commanded this. I will do it even though I'm scared to death. Some of you this weekend made that choice to come back to the gathering. And I know that that was not an easy choice. There are so many fingers to that. I want you to think about the fear that he's removing from you. And my friends, now that we're on this brink, this brink of the life that we get to finish out, for some of us, it could be a few days. For others of us, it could be several years. What is your plan to stay? What is your plan to stay living according to this baseline that God's established for us? What are you going to do to keep from falling back? What are you going to do to keep the past from welling up and becoming a reality again in your life? What are you going to do to keep moving forward in this new normal that God has laid before you? Over the last several weeks, many of you have made life-changing decisions. <laughs> Some of you in this room have recommitted your life to God's plan for your normal. Others of you have surrendered your life to God for the first time. Colossians 2.6 gives us this word. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. <laughs> Be thankful. Let's stand together. Father, we come before you today. We come before you thankful. All of us who know you are thankful for your love. Father, we're thankful for your grace that gives us access to your love. We're thankful. We're thankful for your willingness to show us how to live through your son, Jesus Christ, a life that is complete, a life that is abundant and secure with your care and your blessing. So, Father, we want to root ourselves more deeply in your love. And we want you to continue the work you began in us when you sent your son to bring us back to you. So, Father, right now, many, many are challenged by current circumstances. But we all come with one need. 
and that is complete surrender to you. We come with a built-in desire to live transformed. And so as we take our next step in this new normal that you've led us to, may we be built up, may we be strengthened, and God, may we overflow with thankfulness in our every word, our every step, and in that may we be true to the end. It's in the name of Jesus who comes for us that we pray. Amen. Amen. Say it with me, friends. The Lord our God. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. The Lord is one. If he's not the one in your life, then make it so this weekend by responding to his invitation. Come and surrender your life to him. Be baptized. The Lord is one. He has one bride. It's the church. And he wants you as an immersed believer to be part of that right here at this local church. Come and be a part of this church. He wants you to be supported and prayed for and encouraged. We'd love for you to come today. We'll be glad to pray with you and encourage you in the truth. Come as we sing.